0: God is so good, His presence is so powerful, we are truly nothing without Him. He wants to minister to you tonight, He wants to help you, He wants to broaden and expand your perspective so that you see things through His heart, His mind. If you have those values in place, then that filter will change your heart but if we're looking at the things of the world and we're looking at the things we're facing, those things shape our heart. So it's all in what we're looking at, what your gaze is fixed upon. And so I would encourage you to get your eyes off of whatever's troubling you and set your heart and your affection upon the nature and power of the Lord Jesus Christ who's in this house. So thankful for his presence and goodness. Why don't you clap your hands one more time? Make some noise. Confuse the enemy. dealing with me before i left the country about the great reversal he said he is getting ready to confuse the enemy and reverse his agenda so everything the enemy has tried to launch against you god is going to reverse what the enemy meant for evil god is going to reverse for your good and for your blessing for your prosperity the things that look ominous god is going to reverse he said i want you to tell my people they're in a revelation in a season of the great reversal upon the earth And everything the enemy has tried to do, he said, I'm coming to confuse him and confound him and reverse his agenda in my people's lives. And I rejoice in that. And nothing confuses hell more than when you clap and worship. When everything in your life is pointing and trending in a negative direction. When you just clap your hands in worship and refuse to sit on your worship, that confuses the enemy. He doesn't understand that because he doesn't have that kind of faith, doesn't have that kind of hope. Amen. Ushers, if you would, just make your way to the front, prepare to wait upon the people. And as they're coming, there's just two quick announcements we would like you to be aware of. First is uh, First Steps, which which will continue with step two uh, Sunday after service in the hub. Also, there's a baby dedication. Can you say baby dedication? Amen. We love babies around here. It's an absolute sure way for the church to grow. And so we're thankful for that, people making all these beautiful babies that are running around. It's a really beautiful thing to see. So this Sunday, we're having a baby dedication. And if you would like to have your baby dedicated, send your baby's name as well as the mother and father's names to Cheryl Franklin. That's Madam Secretary right down here in the front at ngplive.com. Please send the full name of the child and a good picture. Amen. A good picture. Not a snot bubble picture. Send a good picture in 16 by 9 format if you have it. And so that would be tremendously helpful to our awesome media mystics in the back. And so that would be awesome if you could do that. Let's pray over this offering. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your wonderful people that are here. Thank you for your presence hovering over this room right now. Pray that it would continue, that it would expand, that it would just manifest even more greatly as this night progresses. For we need your presence more than anything in this world. We need the manifestation of your kingdom and your character and your goodness and your holiness more than we need anything. There is no situation we face that your presence is not the answer to. So we pray that you bless those that give. Rebuke the devourer for their sake as never before. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. Ushers, go right ahead, my friends. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10, 15, and 16. I know you're standing, so I'll just go quickly into the word of the Lord. I do want to thank you for your prayers. If I begin to babble incoherently at any point tonight, Um, I just want you to be aware of why. Uh, I have been in a couple different countries in the past uh, 10, 11 days and traveled over 20,000 miles. And my last 15 hour flight, my seat would not recline. It was stuck in the upright position, which was absolutely wonderful and uh, so exciting and fun. Uh, So from Incheon, Korea, all the way to DFW, I sat straight up, Uh, great for posture, bad for sleep. So if at any point I just began to just randomly just speak out or just forget where I am, just remind me. Uh, all will be well. Uh, my consciousness is still somewhere over the Pacific, so uh, my soul is trying to catch up to my body. Second Corinthians 10, verse 15 and 16 from the Amplified uh, Classic to AMPC. says this, We do not boast, therefore, beyond our proper limit, over other men's labors but we have the hope and confident expectation that as your faith turn your neighbor and say that's our faith as your faith continues to grow our field fivefold ministry our field among you may be greatly enlarged do you see the partnership and the connection? The constellation, how that works, as your faith continues to grow, then our field among you may be greatly enlarged, still within the limits of our commission. You can't ever let your ambition take you where your anointing has not actually caused you to go. Some people are ambitious to do something, but they're not anointed to do that something, and it fails every single time. Or they get burnt out and they quit because they're trying to do something that their ambition wants them to do, but they're not anointed to do it. Not yet. It's at a season, it's at a time. So Paul is showing Corinth the very powerful partnership and spiritual dynamic. Our field among you will be greatly enlarged, still within the limits of our commission. Verse 16 says so that we may even preach the gospel in lands lying beyond you without making a boast of work already done in another man's sphere of activity before we came on the scene. Very powerful, very powerful mystery that the apostle is revealing there with the help of the Holy Ghost. And I just wanna speak to you on this entitled thought, sharing what God is doing in India, what God is doing in the world, and sharing some stories uh, from the most recent trip to that part of the world. So I want to speak to you from this entitled thought, a dawning light in an ancient land. A dawning light in an ancient land. You put your Bibles down. Join with me in prayer all over this house tonight. Lord Jesus, we need your presence and anointing. We pray that you would anoint us with unction as never before so we can speak and declare your heart and your mind Let revelation and understanding begin to flow, broaden and expand our perspective. Take us out of our comfort zone. Let scales fall off of our eyes. Let us see things in the spirit we've never seen. Let us hear things of the spirit we've never heard, that we may enter into this dimension of depth that you're inviting your body and your bride into in this end time hour. By the power and authority of the name of Jesus, we speak it and declare it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can you clap your hands as you're seated? You guys get quiet on me, and I'm going to fall asleep standing right here in this pulpit. So I'm going to need you to get a little bit more interactive, if you don't mind. Clap, say something, shout something. I don't care what you shout. Just do something to keep me awake as well, and everything's going to be fine. This scripture shows us something very powerful about spiritual partnership within fivefold ministry and the saints of God. That is a partnership that is well-established in the Bible. Ephesians tells us a lot about it, and we see it modeled throughout the book of Acts entirely, and also we see it in each and every epistle that the apostles wrote to the existing churches. It's a dynamic that is very essential for us to understand. Because if we want to see God's world flow through us, we've got to be in submission to it. We've got to be in alignment with it. So we have to be submitted to the plan of God, and we have to be operating and flowing in the ways of God and in the apostolic authority of God. And that only comes when we are in line with the word of God. And so these partnerships really need to be understood in order for the dimension God really wants to birth through us to become a reality Revival cultures, this is something Paul is showing Corinth. Corinth had the tendency, because of their great wealth and abundance, it remind me of the American church, just a little bit. They got the gifts of the spirit, they got money, and they're comfortable. And because of that, Paul is telling them, you're a little bit too tribal and insular. I need you to look out as much as you look in. I need you to look at others as much as you look at yourselves. I need you to step out of self-absorption into selflessness. And I need you to flow in that because that's the heartbeat of revival. That's the heartbeat of the kingdom coming. That's the heartbeat of a revival culture in a kingdom culture. So what the Lord has shown me, traveling the world and seeing different things, is that true revival cultures look in at their homes first. This is part of in looking. I look at my home first. Tell your neighbor, your ministry starts in your home. Your home is your first missions field. Right? That's the sign you'll see if you walk into our front door and look to the right. My wife has that sign displayed. Your home is your first missions field. Not the world, not the city, not your church. Your home. That's your first missions field. It's very important that we understand that. So that they look in... Revival cultures look in at their homes first, their families, their children first, then at the church in the city. But that's not the only place they can look. Because as the apostle was showing Corinth, if I just look there, I'm not stepping into the dynamics that God truly wants to birth through me. And I become severely limited and selfish. And I only want to grow my area And not any other area. And that's deadly. It it causes prophetic paralysis. And this is what Paul is showing them. You're looking in. That's good. We're going to do that with intensity. We're going to do that with passion in that sequence. Home first. Then the church. Then the city. But we also have to look out at the world with the same passion at the same time. So we're looking in and we're looking out at the same time. There's a balance to that. Brother Willoughby was a legendary missionary to Singapore, Southeast Asia. And he said this over and over. It was very powerful. He said, God never promised us great buildings. He said, God promised us souls. He promised us people. He promised us relationships. He promised us the nations. That's what he promised us. If we would come into alignment with him then those things would flow. Those things would become reality, and they would be released, and powerful things would happen. He never promised us palatial buildings, right? Not at all. Not once. So but the Willoughby said, God told him, if you will focus on other churches, I will grow the church I sent you to. That was his commission. It's not like that for everybody, but that's what it was for him. So he focused and he looked out and in with the same passion at the same time and that church grew like crazy because man wasn't building it. God was. We plant and water. God gives the increase. The growth comes from God and the grace of God for the glory of God and that's where the building comes from, the building of the church, not an edifice, not a physical building. Well, obviously, if that thing is growing... God has to move you from place to place to put you in something physical that will house it, right? He takes care of that stuff. But you look at that first, the health of that body first. We'll look at that in more in in detail and more in depth here in a moment. But that's what revival cultures look like. That's how they operate. That's how they function. So as the church at Corinth expanded in faith, and spiritual maturity, God expanded their influence in and to the nations. That's what the scripture's telling us. As they grew, God sent the ministries connected to them around the world. So we give to missions, but we also go to missions. We give and we go. Very powerful. Antioch, probably the biggest, baddest apostolic church in the book of Acts, right? I would say probably easily, outside of Jerusalem, the mother of us all, Antioch figured some stuff out very early, very powerful body of believers, very powerful community, right? So Antioch were their first called Christians because they received Paul, empowered him and affirmed him even though he persecuted them. So they forgave him and didn't just forgive him, they affirmed his ministry. They allowed him to come and preach to them and become one of the primary leaders among them. The man that had killed some of their family members, thrown some of them in jail. They saw his conversion. They believed it, affirmed it, spoke life to it, and then invited him to come be one of their leaders. Forgiveness in action. Very powerful. Antioch was an amazing apostolic church. And as they grew... And became the most powerful church in the book of Acts, God sent some of their key leaders, Paul and Barnabas, around the world. That's what the scripture that we read together is saying. As you were increased, then our sphere will be increased in you first, that's looking in, but also to lands beyond you, that's looking out at the same time. That's the heartbeat of an apostolic church. That's the heartbeat of a kingdom culture. That's the heartbeat of a revival culture, is to look in and out, growing together. The fivefold ministry is growing, and the people are growing, all at the same time. It's a dynamic that's truly unstoppable in the spirit realm. Hell cannot stop a church that's functioning and flowing like that. It has no hope of stopping it, not at all. So, this is what the Lord began to speak to me. First, when I was away, and then again, as I began to bring uh, the journey home began, I began to see things, and I began to feel things, and the Lord began to speak to me about a hope uh, for Northgate, and God gave me a word, and God gave me something he wants me to share with you about the future, and so This is something that is just, I'm a small part of the puzzle here. I'm a small part of the team. And so this is the perspective that I have to share. And the first thing he began to deal with me about is that a home and a house are not the same thing. I pray for my home all the time. I also pray for my house. The house is the physical building. But the home... The home is the relationships. The home is my connection to my wife, my children, how we get along. All of that is the home. And then that home dwells in a house. And the house is just a physical covering. But the real life of that house is in the home. So there's a difference between those things. Pray for your home and then pray for your house. You don't want house trouble. So pray for that thing. But also pray for your home because that's the essence of your house. That's the character of your house. So a home and a house are not the same thing. One of my favorite stories is a quote from a wise little boy. He wasn't over 10 years of age. And the story goes that his family was moving from one house to another house, and as they're moving in, somebody walked up to him and said, man, what do you think about your new home? And the little boy very wisely, wisely responded, this isn't our home. He said, we already had a good home. He said, we had a blessed home. We have a great home. He said, God just gave us a bigger house to put our home in. That's a powerful quote. Powerful quote and amazing quote. Do you know what that means? When the home is ready and when the home is healthy, the house will appear. It's what the Lord told me. We need to work on our home. And as the home gets healthy... As the home of Northgate gets healthy and the home of Northgate begins to expand, make no mistake, the house will appear. God will absolutely irrefutably give us a bigger house to put our growing healthy home in when the time comes. But right now, focus on the home. Focus on your home, focus on our home, together, relationally, our relationships, how we get along, how we love each other, how we affirm each other, how we continue in unity. And when the home is healthy enough and heaven sees it, the house will appear. We're not going to have to go searching for it, begging for it, or go crazy looking for it. You don't have to force it when it's of God. It shows up. The deal of all deals shows up. The perfect edifice shows up. Because when the home is healthy, the house will appear. So please receive that from the Lord. God began to speak that to me well before I got back to Texas. And yes, when you're overseas and someone asks you where you're from, you just say Texas. That blew people's mind. They said, where are you from? I said, Texas. They said, you just said Texas. I said, yeah. Yeah. He said, you didn't say the U.S.? I said, no. I'm from Texas. We were our own country. We're kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know that or not, but, I mean, Texas, the great state of Texas, that's where I'm from. I don't say I'm from the United States of America. I say, I'm from Texas. Anybody from Texas understand that? Amen. Born and raised. So, the trip to India. First of all, thank you to every single person that sowed into this trip. It's not possible without people that sow. It's just not possible. (laughs) So that's the team aspect again in partnership is that I didn't have the money to go. So God had to send me by allowing people to sow into the mission he was sending me on. That's partnership. That way you reap from it just like I reap from it. There's beauty and power in that. It's spiritual partnership. That's how the church functions. So I want to give you some context of India. How many of you have been to India? Raise your hand if you've been to the nation of India. Okay, Tam's got her hand up. All right. This is why I want to give you some context. All right, because it's incredibly difficult to describe. Okay? I love to minister in this nation. This is my sixth time to preach there. Been going there since two thousand and nine. And I truly believe that India can become the next Ethiopia-type revival. I believe that with every fiber of my being. The population density alone would yield greater results than Ethiopia ever could have seen just because of the population density. So it's staggeringly complicated, the nation of India. It is one of the most difficult places, I would say the most difficult, that I've ever ministered but it's also one of the most rewarding places I've ever ministered. I've seen the most creative miracles I've ever seen Jesus do in the land of India. Tumors disappear. AIDS healed. Cancer just completely vanish. Amazing stuff. Blind eyes open. Deaf ears open. Uh, Incredible things. Saw a little girl, nine years old, walk for the first time in her life, up and down, back and forth, the whole platform, just walking. Crazy, just walking like a baby deer, she'd never walked in her life. Amazing things happen there. Devils cast out left and right, incredible things happen in that nation. It's just a nation that has been crippled by darkness for as long as mankind has been on the earth. If you watch the gospel and the direction of the gospel, what happened is the gospel traveled west. It did not travel east. What happened when Paul tried to go east from Turkey? God stopped him. Gave him a vision of a man from where? Macedonia, Greece. And so he went west. The gospel continued to go west. It traveled west. It's gone all around the world. And right now, it's just now making its trek through China and India and the subcontinent of South Asia and then it's gonna end up back in Jerusalem and this thing's over. That's the pattern. So if you look at the wall around Jerusalem, God gave me a vision of this when I was in Jerusalem praying at the western wall. I was praying there, and God said, why is only the western wall left up? Everything else was absolutely raised to the ground. But they pray at the western wall, why? Because God was allowing it to be a prophetic symbol that the presence and the mystery that used to dwell here has gone west from here. And that's the direction it's traveling. And so it goes all the way around the world and right now it's making its trek through Asia, the most heavily populated continent on earth. Why? Because God saves his best for last. So what did God wanna do right before he returned? He wanted to tackle the longest lasting strongholds on the planet before he came, end time revival. Two nations in in Asia, China and India, you have nearly four billion people in those two nations, alone. We haven't even touched the surrounding nations of Asia. Those two countries alone, 1.4, 1.5, unbelievable. Right at three billion people live in just those two countries. And the gospel's just now starting to tear its way through that darkness. It's absolutely staggering what God is doing in the earth. Amazing things are happening. China has reported, and I, I know this personally because I have a friend, a very dear friend, that was on our team to India, who has been a missionary to China for a very long time. There are over a hundred million tongue talkers in the nation of China right now. 100 million, that's a third of our country, tongue talkers, and it's just getting started. They have to hide. They're in underground churches. They have to go into apartment buildings, turn the TV all the way up, and just pray together. They can't have services like this. They can't even have buildings like this. And so they come together, and they just pray in circles, and they read the Bible, and they pray for each other, and they prophesy to each other. They baptize each other in bathtubs, It's unbelievable. They have to stay hidden. Then they got to move to another place because somebody will tell on them, and then they all get arrested. And so it's one thing after another. I'll show you a picture of Caleb later, tell you a little bit more about his story. But India is a nation of 1.4 billion people. It just surpassed China. It's the most populated nation on earth. China lost quite a few people, sadly, during covid and they were overreporting their population. All of these things just came out. You're gonna hear it in the news relatively soon. So 1.4 billion people live in India. All right, I want you to grasp that number. That's over four times the population of the United States, okay, on a third of the land. So if you multiplied our population by four and kept our land, it would be a problem, right? Now imagine that on a third the size of the land that we have. The density alone is unbelievable. There's no place in America that compares to India and the population density. There's nowhere I can take you and say it's like this. It just wouldn't be sufficient. So it's a very unique place. There are 22 recognized languages in India, but over 1,200 dialects. Remember, land mass, a third the size of the U.S., 1.4 billion people, 22 recognized languages, 29 states, 1,200 dialects. Do you know what that breeds? Division. You think America has division. America don't know anything about division when it comes to nations in Asia. Nothing. Think about the division America would have if every ethnicity spoke a different language and couldn't really communicate with each other. Think about the division we would have if each state spoke a different language than the other state. So Texas and Oklahoma, we hate each other anyway, especially in football season, because the Oklahoma Sooners are just absolute trash, right? It's hook'em horns. Or go live in Oklahoma. Go to Norman. Tell me how awesome that place is. If you don't like DFW, you can always move to Norman. So think about the division and the Red River rivalry. If we spoke completely different languages and had completely different cultures, the division would be exponentially worse if the languages were different because then we can't even hope to understand each other because we can't communicate. And most division is based on a lack of communication. And so in the land of India, with 22 recognized languages and 1,200 dialects and 29 states, all with their own language and culture, division is one of the biggest problems because you can't have revival and division. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. So it's impossible to see the kingdom come in a divided culture. The devil knows that. And so he uses the confusion to stoke up division. And when division comes, the kingdom cannot come. So the biggest miracle you can pray for in a land like that is unity. There's story after story of missionaries that taught love, signs, wonders, and miracles. But when they went to teach unity and forgiveness, every devil in the region came to stop them. There was one missionary friend of mine, he was leaving his house. A devil manifest and literally told him, Don't teach the people to forgive, don't teach them unity was trying to intimidate him from teaching unity. You know why unity scares them? Because when unity comes, revival is imminent. Revival is going to come like a river that cannot be stopped. Because unity requires diversity to be unity. If you don't have diversity, you really can't have unity. Because if you don't have diversity, all you have is agreement. And agreement is not unity. If we all look the same and we think the same and we talk the same and we dress the same and we are the same, that's not unity. That's agreement. That's a weaker thing than unity. Unity says, I know you're different. I know you think a little bit different. And that's good because I see that as compatibility. I see that as I have a blind spot where your gift flourishes. Your skill set covers my blind spot. Unity comes in and takes the diversity and the differences and makes beautiful balance out of it instead of division and revolt against each other. So true unity says, I know you're different and that's why I need you. I know you're good at this and I'm not. And I know I'm good at this and you're not. So we need each other. Instead of rebelling against each other and saying they do it differently than us, Unity says, that's the point. They're supposed to do it differently than us. Because it can't be a bunch of clones of us. That's agreement, and it's weak. Unity is powerful. Unity says, look, we're going to base the relationship on what we agree on and what we love and the things that endear us to each other. We're not going to base it on the things that would divide us. So, I don't look at another ministry and how different it is than me and start picking it apart and say, oh, they do that and we do this and that's why they're them and we're us. That's stupidity. That's not wisdom. Unity looks at that and says, they're different than us. That means we make a good team. You know why salt and pepper is on every table on planet Earth? They're opposite. They complement each other. They're the perfect complement. Salt doesn't look in pepper and say, I can't work with you, you're too different. You do things differently, you see things differently, you infect the environment differently than I do. Yeah, that's the point of a team. So unity celebrates what lesser minds protest about and try to pick a fight about. So unity is powerful. India also produces 70% of the world's spices, and 99% of those I am allergic to. It's the second largest English-speaking nation. It's home to the most ancient language and religion of world history, according to world historians. The language being Sanskrit, and the religion being Hinduism. So if you were to Google world's oldest religion, Hinduism is probably going to come up as number one. I obviously have a different viewpoint because to me, you can't predate in the beginning God created. It's hard to predate that one. So I'm gonna go Judaism. I'm gonna go the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, oldest religion because it starts with creation. But historians and most people in the intelligentsia of the world would tell you that Sanskrit and Hinduism are the oldest language and religion on earth. So it's a fascinating place, it truly is. It's difficult for me to minister there, so I need a lot of prayer when I go, because I'm literally allergic to just about everything. Hardcore allergic, anaphylactic allergic, to just about everything that they cook with. So I lose weight, I lost 10 pounds, and my beautiful wife put Velveeta instant noodles in my backpack, I had cashews, I had peanut butter, whole jar of peanut butter, I ate the whole thing in less than 10 days. Peter Pan peanut butter because everything else is ungodly and of the Antichrist. So peanut, Peter Pan creamy peanut butter is thank you, thank you, people of God. Pastor likes Jif. That's okay. That's all right. So I ate the whole jar because it's all I could eat because everything, curries, chili peppers, anything you, you give me over there, it wants to in, immediately and instantly kill me. So my first meal in, 20, in 2009... My first meal, I sit down at a restaurant and I order something called fish masala. Now, at this point, very, very young, I order fish masala. I don't know I'm allergic to anything on, on planet Earth at this point. I put the first bite in my mouth, my face turns blood red. Uh, my heart, I think, stopped. I couldn't see color, and I spit it out immediately completely scared me to death my mentor looked at me and goes my god you almost died at this table he said if god didn't give you a miracle you would died right here i'd had to call your wife it's like well i'm sorry that my untimely death would have inconvenienced you to that level where you had to call my wife but i knew and i found out i'm allergic to what these guys eat what i also found out is that masala means big problem so my first meal in India, I look at the menu, and I'll go, I'll have the fish big problem, please. Unbelievable. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinatingly difficult place for me to minister, but I absolutely love to go there. But I do lose weight, and I lose weight I don't want to lose. So it's a very challenging place. And part of the reason it's so challenging is due to the very many anti-conversion laws that are in place in that nation. So India has anti-conversion laws. That means it's illegal to convert from one religion or faith to another. So if you convert, you can be arrested. It's not the only country that has these. Quite a few, actually. So that means if I'm over there and I'm seen as a person that is converting people, I can also be very easily arrested. So it's a very difficult and challenging place to minister. But, God moves like a unbelievably powerful river when he starts flowing over there. Never seen anything like it. It's truly exceptional. We can shoot some of the pictures up, if you guys would. As I said, it's home to some of the longest standing strongholds known to man. But here's the beautiful part about that. Light always looks best in darkness always and god is about to paint a picture of his light on that nation that it has never seen before and it's going to be one of the most beautiful things that this earth has ever witnessed because god is doing amazing and powerful things with the people of this nation he truly is So the one pastor's conference is a thing that um, we were at. And so it was put on by our church in Singapore, Alive Community Church. And the church sponsored just about everything. So they paid for all of the transportation, for all of the 50 pastors that would come. And their lodging for the whole time they were there, five days of lodging, all the food that they would eat that entire time, their train ticket, their airplane ticket, whatever it took to get them there. The church paid for all of it. So they truly, and paid for the venue, obviously, and they truly did host the conference. Some of these guys had to take 36-hour train rides one way just to get to the conference. Now, that is worse than a plane ride. I've been on some very long plane rides, 24-plus hours. 36 hours on a train is a nightmare. 36 hours on a train in India is a nightmare you would have while you were already having a nightmare. So, a lot of suffering. 36 hours, that's one way, just to get to this conference. You don't do that unless you are hungry for more light. Hungry for a move of God. 36 hours on a train just to get to a conference. And in America sometimes... We don't want to get in our air-conditioned car and drive 15 minutes because we're tired. And i got to stand next to the people in judgment that took a 36-hour train ride one way just to get to a camp meeting conference because they were hungry for preaching, 12 hours of preaching a day. So at the One Pastors Conference, here's what we did. We had a team of four people, three from Singapore and one from Malaysia so we had a team of four and we, we would show up at 8.30 a.m. and we would preach hour and a half sessions all the way till 9.30 p.m. at night with a one hour lunch. You heard that correctly. 12 hours of ministry every day for four days in a row. 12 hours. Hour and a half sessions each with a five to 10 minute tea break between each of those sessions. And at the end of the night, They weren't leaving. They weren't asking for it to be over. They weren't complaining about the heat. They weren't complaining about the time. They wanted more. It's unbelievable. That level of hunger will change your life. It'll change your life. So, this is Caleb. So, this is the platform. This is our interpreter, Robin. We had two very incredible interpreters, Robin and Ken Chan. And... Robin is obviously not his given name, but it's the name he goes by, and he's a great man, very powerful interpreter, zero delay. When you said it, he said it. If you moved your hand, he moved his hand. Incredible guy. This is Pastor Caleb Tan, missionary to China. This man has been preaching many times in China when police officers would kick in the door, come come into the room, arrest everyone that's a bad that's a bad service multiple times he's had to endure that he's been interrogated borderline tortured over and over and over simply for preaching the gospel and guess what he's full of faith not discontent not doubting not depressed not upset not living in fear he can't wait To go back and do it again that's faith that's overcoming a little bit more than had a long day at work don't want to be here it's amazing to me it's inspiring to me and I'll stand in judgment next to him it makes me think what have I done what kind of cross have I been willing to carry for the kingdom of God because that dude's carrying a big one and he's not upset, and he's not asking why, and he's not saying, God, why me? I'm trying, and all this stuff is happening, and I get persecuted, just like the apostles. When they get persecuted, they dance and they shout because they were seen worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's a completely different understanding of suffering. Completely different. Don't complain about it. Don't quit throwing the towel. Ask why. Post about it. Poor pitiful me. God failed me. No, it ignites their faith. It compounds their faith, and they want to do it more and more. Go to, just go to the next one, whichever one it is. Thank you. That's perfect. This is my friend, my new friend Santosh. Santos is from the Bangalore area in the state of Karnataka. This is one of the men that took a 36-hour train ride to get to the conference and a 36-hour train ride to get back. After 36 hours back, he got there, got off the train, walked into his church, and started preaching Sunday services. And was thrilled to just be there in time to do it. So these guys, him and a few others that we'll see later, they've got a powerful ministry and revival taking off in Karnataka, Bangalore area. They go into village after village preaching the kingdom of God, casting out devils, healing the sick, seeing miracle signs and wonders, and praying people through to the Holy Ghost and baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ. Incredible things. They see more miracles than just about anybody you can name. They see miracle after miracle after miracle. You know what else they do? They get beaten for preaching the kingdom. He was just recently beaten across his back and all over his body with rods for preaching the kingdom of God in his home country. Repeatedly beaten. Threatened. You know what he does? He goes back out and he does it again. That's Santos. That's the kind of person that we're going to be standing next to in judgment. I want it to ignite your faith. I don't want it to make you guilty. I want it to ignite your faith to know that if they can do it, you can do it because you don't get persecuted like that for your faith. You live in a land of freedom. You live in a land where you can talk about it to anybody you want to talk about it to. Nobody's busting in here and arresting us for preaching the kingdom of God. There's little to zero persecution in the United States of America. Be excited about that and then go out and release the kingdom as never before. Because we don't have the barriers they have. But they're doing it with the barriers with the persecution, in the face of persecution, they're still preaching the gospel, seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, having revival. And when I see people like that, I'm like, I'm supposed to minister to you? I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired just to know you. I don't even know why you want to listen to me from America. It, It was staggering to me, the faith of these people. And these guys pastor hundreds and thousands of people. Their churches are massive. And so it was just absolutely staggering to see. It truly, truly was. You can do the next picture if you don't mind. Thank you. This is Pastor Paul and his his wife, Lila. And so pray for these people. Pray for Pastor Paul and Lila. They pastor in New Delhi probably the most difficult place to live and to pastor there are little to no Christians at all in New Delhi little to none it's very dangerous it's very unsafe for women the crime is very very high it's exceedingly dangerous to be a Christian and to be a leader in this city and they're doing it and have been doing it for a long time they're not even from there they're from a completely different part of India. As you can tell, they look Chinese. Caleb was blown away. He could, swore, he could have swore they were Chinese. But they're Indian. India is unbelievably diverse. So they were called to the most difficult place to pastor and went. And they're there. They're doing a wonderful job. Things are going well, but it's very difficult. He's the one that helped organize on a local level this entire conference. So God is positioning him to be kind of a leader of what's going on there. So very powerful. Just switch to the next one, if you don't mind. I'm going to hurry. We're almost out of time. Right. This is just walking down the street. This is right outside of Mother Teresa's uh, home where Mother Teresa used to live in Calcutta. That's where we were. We were in Calcutta, India. And so this was right outside. If you walk out of the street in the alley that Mother Teresa's home in her her tomb is and make it a right, you walk right into this. So this was prayer time, Uh, obviously these are not Hindus, these are are Islamic men and they're there and they're praying. And so just that picture is just to show you the immense diversity culturally, ethnically, religiously that exists in India. That's just right on the street, right off the street. And so it's staggering. 15% of India's population is Muslim, 80% is Hindu. This is Mother Teresa's grave. Now, I want to talk about Mother Teresa just a little bit here because this is truly amazing. When I was in Calcutta, I noticed that the spirit realm was very much more open than the other cities I'd been to in India and other regions I'd been to in India. So I began to ask God why, but it was much more open. There was much more freedom, and Calcutta is very safe for women. Women can walk down the street unattended, not be accosted, not be assaulted, and, and relatively can, can be uh, free. And so for, for that nation, that, that's a big deal to be able to say that. So I noticed it was different, I felt different. Uh, some, God did amazing things just in me personally while I was there, I had just a personal transfiguration, revival, it was, it was incredible. Things were happening in prayer. But I began to ask God, why is Calcutta so different? Why does it feel so different? And God brought me immediately to Mother Teresa. Now, you can say what you want about Mother Teresa, but I encourage you not to say anything bad about Mother Teresa. Here's why. You can try to pick apart her theology, and you can come at me with all that if you want to. But I've been there, and I asked God why it's different, and God said, because of her. Here's why. She operated purely in the fruit of the Spirit. What does the Bible say about the fruit of the Spirit? Against such there is no law. A little Albanian woman, probably four foot eleven, maybe shorter, went to a nation of Hindus where her faith and religion was largely illegal and operated in the fruit of the spirit and became an icon that changed the city, changed the world, and began to change a nation because she operated in love. She operated in joy and peace. And she went to minister to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. And when you say poorest of the poor in Calcutta, you're talking about a level of poverty America knows nothing about. I mean nothing about. There is no slum in this country, even remotely like the slums of Calcutta. Nothing. So she went there, loved them, blessed them, did not care what faith they were, did not care what ethnicity they were. She loved everybody freely. And the fruit of the Spirit flowed so mightily through her love and ministry that it changed the region. It changed a city that had been in darkness for thousands of years. Because against the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. You can't get arrested for loving people. You can't get arrested for loving the poor, for praying for the sick just wanting them to be okay. You can't get arrested for that stuff. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And what God told me when he's there, he said now what he's going to do in the end time, he's going to partner the power of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what's going to be an explosive revival of power and authority in the nation of India when those two things come together in balance and begin to flow. Because sadly, far too often, you get people that operate in the power of the Spirit, but they're absent from the Fruit of the spirit. They don't understand that there's nine fruit and there's nine gifts because those things are in balance with each other. And so if you operate in the fruit with the power, it changes everything. Doors are open to you that cannot be open to others. So it's phenomenal. So little Mother Teresa, you can go to the next one if you don't mind. There she is right there. That's taken at her tomb. Sweet little lady. I'm telling you, it changed things. Because you can't find anybody there that's going to say anything negative about Mother Teresa. They just call her mother because she loved them. This is taken right outside as well. Just to show you the diversity here. This is uh, obviously a man uh, driving this lady around in what would appear to be a very large and elaborate tricycle. Um, Traffic in India is unlike anything you've ever seen. They honk their horns incessantly. And it will give you a migraine headache just driving down the street. Honking the horn is seen as a courtesy. And I am obviously from Texas and I don't interpret it as a courtesy. I interpret it as all of you people want to fight me right now. And it is incessant. They will not stop honking their horns. Ask Tam. It'll blow your mind the traffic in that city and in the entire nation. The whole nation's like that. So go to the next one if you don't mind. So these are some uh, kids that we ran into in the street, Uh, had no idea who they were. They just walked up to us, and they wanted to talk. They saw us smiling. They saw us taking pictures, walking around, enjoying their city, and so they wanted to talk to us for about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, This little girl here has family in Austin, and she comes to visit them. She loves Texas, and uh, uh, she's a sweetheart. And then this young man, incredibly smart, they go to a private school. Uh, spoke English perfectly very well and they stopped us because they said I've seen you in a movie and I said no you haven't (laughs) I wish you've seen me in a movie uh, but you have not seen me in a movie Uh, I didn't ask what movie but it was very funny so I found that quite humorous so sweet people we can go to the next one so this is a, a man from a different part of India, completely different. Seven states of India were represented in this conference, all of them with different languages and different ethnicities and cultures. Seven states. Never been together before. Never fellowshiped together before. First time. So these men said they were blown away from the first night because they had never seen that many people from different parts of India come together in unity to love each other and pray and have a service. Never happened and God made it happen. So here's more of us here, this is Caleb on my left and Pastor Sam uh, to his left. He's the superintendent of the entire nation of Malaysia for the UPCI, he's a great man. Uh, Doors have blown open in uh, Malaysia and India, just amazing things that are happening there. And these are guys from uh, Manipur, where Tamberley has also been. Uh, They're from Manipur, India. Let's go to the next one. And this is just more people. These are some of the guys from Bangalore. So the man on the far left, his name is Pastor Lenu. He's a powerful man, speaks perfect English. The man on the far right is a professor. His name is Joshua, a professor of economics and technology at a very prestigious university there in Bangalore. Very highly educated, very well-spoken man, and that's Santos to his right and uh, that uh, Sandra the missions director there is standing next to Ka- between Caleb and I these guys from Bangalore are probably some of the most legit people in the kingdom I've ever seen or met in my entire life so let's go to the next one please we're out of time uh, these are some of the ladies that were here some of them are from Orissa most of the ladies you see here are from Orissa there was an upcoming ladies conference in Orissa That we are connected to and that Singapore is hosting. Here's why the people from Orissa are so impressive and powerful. Orissa probably has the most persecution of any state in all of India. Missionaries are burned there, lit on fire and burned. Okay? So the persecution is immense and very, very deep and powerful. And these, when these little ladies start praying, heaven moves. So when you say, lift your voice and pray, and they lift their hands and begin to pray, the place goes completely ballistic. It's absolutely staggering. They know how to pray. They live in intercession. They live in it. It's super, super powerful. Next one, if there is a next one. I think we're out of pictures here. Yes, we're out of pictures. So the miracle that occurred was the miracle of unity. That's what occurred. Seven states, like I said, have seen God do amazing creative miracles in India, But the miracle I saw at this conference surpasses them all. It truly does. For people of seven different ethnicities that that speak completely different languages, they have to unite over English. Because their languages are so different, their mother tongues are so different, there's no hope of uniting. So they have to unite over English. That's phenomenal to me. We can thank the British for that, not us. But it's phenomenal phenomenal to me that that's how they unite, the English language. And so to see them come together from the first day, love each other, spend time with each other, pray for each other, prophesy life and revival over each other's cities and each other's territories and churches and families, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen because these guys said it had never happened in that country before. I didn't know that. They told us, this has never happened in this nation. That we would come together, love each other, pray for each other, worship together, support each other. Never happened before. That's the power of unity. Now, I want us to stand. We're out of time. Could you stand all over the house tonight? Forgive me for taking so long and just get excited about this stuff. I want us to pray in closing for unity to hit our home, the home of Northgate, the culture of Northgate. I want us to pray for unity, divine, supernatural unity It is more supernatural than any miracle that you will see. It truly is. It is more supernatural than tumors falling off or the dead being raised. Unity is absolutely staggeringly supernatural when it comes. We are not praying for agreement. We are praying for unity so that diversity could increase and compatibility could increase and the unity of the spirit supernaturally can come among us so that the kingdom of God can be birthed through us as never before. So would you join me, just lift your hands all over this house and loose your voices and let us pray.